Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text is the Gospel reading for today, Jesus' Easter evening visitation to his disciples, and then his visitation to them eight days later when Thomas was with them. We pay particular heed to these words. On the evening of the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And so we consider Jesus' Easter actions and his Easter words. Friends, you know the old saying, actions speak louder than words. You know often that that's true. Case in point, the unforgettable silent stand of a brave man now some 21 years ago in China's Tiananmen Square. 1989 was a year that saw communist governments around the world crack, some of them crumble. In April of 1989, protests by many Chinese students and intellectuals began in in the large public Tiananmen Square in the center of Beijing. By early June, 100,000 had gathered to mourn and mark the recent death of a pro-democracy Chinese leader. The government feared that things were getting out of hand. And so it began to crack down. Soldiers and tanks were mobilized and they moved in. But who can forget that, that image of that unknown man standing alone, yet standing with the force of a hundred thousand behind him, standing there in front of those four steely tanks lined up in formation. They moved right. He moved with them and blocked their advance. They angled left. He wouldn't back down. It's not known who the man was, nor whatever happened to Tank Man, as he has become known. Time magazine hailed him as one of the most influential people of the 20th century. On that June day, nothing spoke as loudly as the silent, defiant action of that man. Actions often speak far louder than words, even louder than a hundred thousand words. In Jesus' case, though, his words speak to us just as loudly. And they should be noted just as closely as his actions. His actions never trump his words, but always work in concert with them. At times, his actions will, will flesh out the words that he's spoken. At other times, his actions by way of his signs, his wonders. At other times, those actions will give credence to his word, give you very good reason for hearing, listening, and and believing what this one says. Not the main point today, but a case in point, our, our text for today. Would we really not heed with the utmost attention the words of a man who had been dead and now stood living and speaking? So you see, his actions and his words, they are to be taken by us on the same level. It's good for us then today to consider both his Easter actions and his Easter words to us, because as you might expect, they both, his Easter actions and his Easter words, say an awful lot to us as Easter people. It's the evening of the resurrection. Jesus' disciples have by now learned that his body is no longer in the tomb. The report has sounded far already. 
in a day's time. It sounded far, it sounded wide, even it sounded behind these locked doors. For Peter has claimed to behold him that very afternoon. And the women tell their account in which one of them said that she even touched his flesh and handled him. They saw him. John related what he'd seen at the tomb, corroborating their accounts. He saw burial clothes lying there unused. A head shroud folded neatly in place, separated from the clothes. But he saw no Christ there. He saw no Christ. Two brothers just in from Emmaus echo the same story. The resurrection truth, the resurrection account, the resurrection report. But the doors are still locked, aren't they? The doors are still locked. We're like that. So often we're like that. We've heard the account of the resurrection. We've even heard it testified to. Witnessed to, verified by those who did actually see the risen Christ and touch his flesh. Those who did handle his risen body. Those who did go to their deaths. Because they were so certain beyond doubt of what they had seen and touched and handled. We've heard it. But we're often like those Easter Sunday night disciples. Despite the news that he lives and the evidence of it, the doors, they stay locked. He lives. He lives, we sing, to hear my soul's complaint. And yet, because things go awry sometimes according to our will, then sometimes we doubt that he's even listening to us. He lives to silence all my fears, but still those fears bubble up under the surface. Why? Because we try to micromanage things that God alone can control. He lives and loves me to the end. We sing, and yet a single tragedy in life, or even a string of them. Is that all it takes to make us wonder whether or not he really does live and love me to the end? He lives, my kind, wise, heavenly friend. But we'd question his faithfulness when marriages dissolve and family members are taken without warning or even evident cause. He lives eternally to save, but the weight of the past figures heavier in your mind than the weight of the stone that he by his resurrection has rolled away. He lives my mansions to prepare. He lives, we sing, to to take me, bring me safely there. But we conclude it's so much easier to sing those words than live those words. We conclude as day by day we draw closer to death's day. We've heard the Easter truth and report. We know it, the Easter truth and report. But so often by our fears and because of our fears, the doors to Easter we keep shut and locked and refuse to let Easter's light shine in. But note well Jesus' Easter actions and his Easter words. He doesn't wait for his Sunday night disciples to conjure their own courage, to conjure our own courage, 
so often as Sunday night disciples. To conjure our own courage and break out onto the scene of ourselves, he'd be waiting an awful long time for that, wouldn't he? He breaks in. He breaks in. And he delivers what the resurrection was intended to bring to each one barricaded behind life's locked doors. He brings the assurance of peace. In fact, as our account puts it, isn't that the first Easter words that he shares with his disciples and he repeats it? In order to emphasize it, peace. Notice then how he begins his Easter words of peace to them. He begins with speaking of the forgiveness of sin. For that figures foremost when it comes to any kind of peace at all. You may not think so. Maybe it doesn't figure foremost to you. Perhaps it seems like forgiveness of sins is a, is a topic for preaching that belongs in bygone pulpits. In bygone social contexts. Like Martin Luther's Wittenberg, where maybe people were more tuned into that kind of talk of forgiveness of sin. Maybe it seems that today's world has different central, a different set of central felt needs and prominent problems in its life. Well, don't you think the people in Martin Luther's Wittenberg lived behind the same locked doors you do? Don't you think their daily fears bubbled up under the surface because they tried to micromanage things that only God had control of? Don't you think that, think that things went awry in their lives too? Just like they do in yours, jobs lost to them? Like perhaps yours, money being tight, having to live with and contend with disease and illness and sickness, yours or another's, losing family members? Don't you think? Don't you think that it was... Do you think that it was any easier for them than it is for you to live words about heaven's mansions, live them in confidence day by day? Friends, to Sunday night disciples, there in Jerusalem, when the resurrected Christ appeared to them, he made, he made forgiveness of the very first order. That's why Luther preached it with prominence from his pulpits, and it would be an injustice and an insult to Christ's deliberate Easter actions and words for it not to be prominent here today for you. You see, the forgiveness of our sin, that's reconciliation with God. Being put at peace with God. It is the foundation and the cornerstone of any other kind of peace that you might have in life. Luther put it well once. In a commentary, he once noted how after their fall into sin and yet before God would have come to them, bringing them the promise of peace, Adam and Eve would have been terrified even to hear the rustling of a leaf nearby, thinking that by chance it might be the eternal God near them that they offended. And yet with the Easter resurrection... After Christ's atoning death, you don't have to be terrified in that way. As Scripture says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Your warfare is ended with Him. You've been put at peace with Him because your, your iniquity, it says, is pardoned. You see those nail marks 
in his hands and his feet, that spear mark in his side, they tell you, like they told those Sunday night disciples of Jesus, that God through Christ and his cross has done it. He's reconciled you to him. And you can be certain of that unto death. Why? Even unto death, even if it causes your death, why can you be certain that you're put at peace with God? Because who is it that brings those nail marks in his hands and his side? It's a risen, it's a living Jesus Christ who furnishes those fleshly proofs of your purchase. And it was of such paramount importance to him that forgiveness be known. Forgiveness of sins be known there immediately to them and thereafter to all of you. That he would breathe on his apostles. Remember as John describes, he breathed on his apostles and he commissioned them to forgive sins by his order. In his stead and by his command to forgive sins where people repent of them. And where people trust in Christ's work and in his word. But more than that, so that you, you who live well, well after those disciples, those apostles entered into glory. So that you can be sure that your sins are forgiven. He's commissioned pastors publicly and officially in their office to speak on his behalf and by his command to pronounce to you the same verdict of pardon to similarly repentant people. So friends, knowing that you're right with God eternally, it's the Easter peace that's the foundation of all other sorts of peace that there can be a peace this world cannot give you, but Christ has furnished for you. And it carries with it the confidence then to throw open all the other locked doors and windows in life. A confidence like that of young 16-year-old Nina from the former Soviet Union in the formerly published newspaper of the Young Communist League. Nina is quoted as having said, she said, I'm a normal girl. I am a member of the Young Communist League. She said, in that sense, I'm a normal girl, but at the same time, she says, I'm unusual. I'm a Christian. Frankly, she said, I don't even consider myself a member of the Young Communist League. I have Komsomol, Communist Youth. She says, I have Komsomol members pass me without greeting all the time. Let them look on me with contempt, she says. Let them look on me with contempt. My brothers and sisters in God treat me very well. I believe them. And I believe God. A quiet confidence you can have, like Nina. Or a bold confidence like the legendary Leonidas. Not a Christian, but confident. Leonidas of ancient Sparta who stood with his some 300 Spartans and prepared to, to confront the armies of Xerxes and the invading Persians. And it said that a Persian emissary met Leonidas and urged him ahead of, ahead of the, the onslaught and invasion, urged him to submit and surrender. And the emissary said, look, our archers, Leonidas, are so many that the flight of their arrows darkens the sun. To which Leonidas responded that very well then. We shall fight you in the shade.
a bold confidence you can have because of the Easter victory or the the courage of an unnamed man in Tiananmen Square standing with the strength of a hundred thousand behind them. Friends, whatever stands against you, you stand with the strength of more than a hundred thousand. You stand in the strength of Christ who stands for you. And so, friends, what could be so awry in your life that the risen Lord Jesus, who subjects all things to himself, even death, what could be so awry that Christ Jesus couldn't work all things together for your good? What could leave you so alone that you yet wouldn't have the risen Christ with you always, even unto the end of the age? What past sin could be so great that the crucified and risen Son of God couldn't and wouldn't and hasn't rolled it away? Why seek ye living sins among sins that are dead? He's risen. What road could be so shrouded with such a darkness that the darkness could actually repel the light of Easter dawn? What darkness can repel light? What suffering of the present time could dare presume to compare itself with the eternal glory, which is very soon to be revealed to you. If a multi-ton sepulcher stone can't stay in its place and closed, then what door in your life can stay closed and stand when Christ, risen by his Easter actions and words, has flung it wide open? No morning sunrise ever lighted a room like Christ's Easter actions and words did on that Sunday night. And mind you this, and mark it well, Jesus hasn't simply put things on cruise control now. With the same deliberate intention that he came there that day, he comes to you here today to publish from his pulpits a word of peace. Open locked doors with Easter words, with his Easter deeds. He's the one who comes and who keeps that font of passage open so that he might continue to receive sons and daughters through the waters. He's the one who breaks through the minutes and the miles and the dimensions of time and space that otherwise would close us off from him so that today in his, rather later in his supper today, the risen Christ is as near to you as he was those Sunday, that Sunday night for those disciples there and then. One more Easter word for you. You heard Jesus say today, Blessed are they who have not seen me and yet believe. Don't count these words of Jesus as a feather in your cap over Thomas. Rather, consider Christ's words and then consider yourselves highly blessed by him. For even apart from touching his risen flesh, and seeing him and handling him, he's led you to believe and to know that he is risen. And you're blessed by that, knowing that. He's led you to know that he's risen and therefore to know, he's led you to know a peace that the world can neither give nor take away. 
A blessed Easter tide to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.